Listen, I get it. There are about a hundred different Bible study apps and guides out there, but I want to tell you about one that you may not have heard of yet, Yarrow. Yarrow offers beautifully designed inductive Bible studies and a digital app that guides you through scripture so that you can know what it says and understand what it means for your actual life. No matter where you're coming from or what season of life you're in, Yarrow is the Bible study guide that will help you unearth the truth of scripture so that it can take root in your heart and propel you deeper in your relationship with God. Go check out their first study, Known, which is all about your identity in Christ at yarrow.org. They are offering 10% off with the code JOURNEYWOMEN10. So go to yarrow.org and use the code JOURNEYWOMEN10 for 10% off and download the Yarrow app to study for free today. Welcome to the Journey Women podcast. I'm your host, Hunter Belis. Life's a journey we were never meant to walk alone. We all need friends along the way. On the Journey Women podcast, we'll chat with mentors about gracefully navigating the seasons and challenges we face on our journeys to glorify God. Today, we're chatting with Jen Oshman about recognizing counterfeit loves and rightly setting our love on God. If you don't know Jen, she's a wife and mom to four daughters and has served as a missionary for almost two decades on three continents. She currently resides in Colorado, where she encourages her church-planting husband at Redemption Parker. Her passion is leading women into a deeper faith and fostering a biblical worldview. This is so fun to have both of you, Lauren Bowerman and Jen Oshman, on the Journey Women podcast today. Thank you so much for joining me. Yay! I'm so excited, too. It's great to see both of you. Yes, so happy to be here. We always love hearing from you, Jen. You have been on the podcast in the past. You have a podcast, so we love listening to your podcast as well. But man, you have had such an impact on us here at Journey Women because you brought Lauren Bowerman to us. By God's grace, after our last conversation, I reached out to you, and in His kindness, the Lord had given you a seed of an idea to recommend Lauren Bowerman as a potential hire for us here at Journey Women. And Lauren, you have really been carrying journey women through this season of my dad's death and just our transition, our move from New England to Arkansas. And I cannot thank you enough, Jen. Your influence here runs large. I love that. And praise the Lord. The body of Christ is so sweet. And just the sisterhood even here on this podcast is so sweet. And I can't think of anybody better than Lauren to be on your team. And so I'm just so thankful for how that worked out. I would love it if you, Lauren, would just tell the listeners a little bit about your relationship with Jen, how you guys came to know each other and what that looks like now. Yeah. So my husband and I met Mark and Jen about three and a half years ago when we actually moved out to Colorado to be a part of their church plant. And they've been such a gift to both me and Matthew and literally are just the most pure, wholesome, kind, wonderful. I can insert all the adjectives. They are so wonderful. They were just life-giving mentors and friends to us during our time in Colorado and still are just such dear friends to us. So we are grateful for their influence in our lives and just for Jen and the wisdom that she has poured out on me through her books and just through her friendship. 
Jen, you have a new book coming out. Speaking of writing, that's something that you do, a gift that God's given you really that you share with so many of us. And your first book, Enough About Me, is a book that I've read and enjoyed. And you have a brand new one coming out also with Crossway called Cultural Counterfeits, Confronting Five Empty Promises of Our Age and How We Were Made for So Much More. We thought it'd be really appropriate to kind of dive into the message of the book in the series that we're currently hosting called Knowing and Loving God, because we think those of us who are following Christ want to know how we can love God more, but then we often are facing competing loves that we're just kind of wrestling with wanting to know and love God more and also like being distracted by other loves. So what are some of the competing loves that we might find ourselves facing as Christian women? Yeah, that is a good question. And I think that we could answer it in a hundred different ways because our hearts are prone to wander. Even those of us who have been redeemed by Jesus and our allegiances to Him, it is a daily, even hourly, minute by minute battle, um, I think, to maintain Christ on the throne of our hearts rather than putting ourselves there or other people there. So um, we could answer that question in so many ways, but I think one thing in particular that I feel, especially in 2021, is there is a, I think, a fear of man, especially in the church, like approval of man. I think that can be a competing love rather than our allegiance to the Lord and allegiance to a specific people or um, having the approval of people. I think just because of our really contentious, polarized age and social media and the sort of pressure to like join this camp or that camp about any number of issues. I mean, I feel, I don't know about you guys, but I feel that competing love in my heart. Whenever I speak or podcast or write, I feel like, how how is this going to hit people rather than am I worshiping and honoring the Lord with what I'm, the message that I'm delivering? So for me, that is a particularly competing love, at least in this moment in time. I have found myself struggling with this a lot, um, just this idea of idolatry. And for me, one of the most present ways that I see this is my idolatry of good things over my love for God. And for me, just personally, my husband and I have been walking through an almost three-year struggle of infertility and the desire for good things good things. A baby is such a good thing to desire and to ask God for. And there are so many other things that can fall under this category, marriage, motherhood, you know, there are so many things that are good desires. So I guess my question is, how do we rightly order our loves under God, especially when they are good things? How do we face that idolatry? How do we acknowledge it as idolatry, as sin, and then also just rightly order those good things under our love for God? So the book of Ezekiel, the prophet Ezekiel says that it's possible for us to set idols up in our hearts. That's the idea of just holding onto something in our hearts. Pastor and writer Tim Keller is really helpful in his definition of idolatry. Tim says, if I have that, so idolatry is when we think, if I have that, then I'll feel my life has meaning. Then I'll know I have value. Then I'll feel significant and secure. So that's his test is, you know, it's an idol. If you've put it on this pedestal and you're saying, I cannot have meaning, I cannot have significance. I cannot have a full identity until I have that. So like back to the approval of man thing, like I cannot feel satisfied unless people approve of me or somebody might put the good gifts of marriage and motherhood on that pedestal and say, well, I I won't fully be satisfied or be myself until marriage or until motherhood. I definitely experienced what you're talking about, Lauren, in terms of really desiring a good thing, but having to rightly order it under God's sovereignty. 
when we were working to adopt our oldest daughter, it took three very strenuous years of traveling back and forth from Japan to Thailand, going to numerous court cases, hiring lawyers. It was just mm-hmm. a really like immeasurably difficult process. And I would just cry out to the Lord all the time. God, you say you want us to be mother and father to the orphan. Why won't you bring this to pass? Just in terms of your question of like rightly ordering that, I had to continuously lay that before him and confess that I didn't know best and that he did. His will be done, almost like the sun in the garden of the of Gethsemane before going to the cross. You know, Lord, may this cup be taken from me. But if not, your will be done. And I think that's what we have to do. We have to bring even good desires before the Lord and say, your will be done. Absolutely. And that is such a trust-oriented, faith-filled thing to do. You know, I'm thinking about the picture that you referenced at the beginning of the conversation where we have God on the throne and other things are just creeping up to try and make their way onto the throne of our heart. It makes me think of this passage in 1 John, I believe. In the particular version that I was reading, it said, little children, keep yourself from anything that takes God's place in your hearts. And that I feel like depicts what you were talking about with wanting to have God on the throne of our hearts. But oftentimes there's these competing things that are trying to creep up there. So can you kind of tell us, Jen, you know, I love to define terms. This is something I almost always do on Journey Women, just because I think we're using certain verbiage and often we don't know what we mean when we're saying something like idolatry. Do you have um, a helpful definition? You offered us Tim Keller's, but maybe something that would help us understand a little bit better what it means to idolize anything. Sure. Yeah. I mean, I would say that idolatry is when you expect a counterfeit to deliver what only God can. So you're looking to something that appears shiny, it appears capable, and either knowingly or often unknowingly, you put your hope in that thing and you want it to give you peace contentment, joy, satisfaction. You want it to deliver something that only your creator can. You know, you and I and every human were created in a very specific way by a creator who had a plan to commune with you and me. And so whenever we trade in communion with the Lord for something else, for a counterfeit and expect that thing to deliver, and it can be something good like marriage or motherhood, or it can be something um, maybe a little more nebulous, like maybe money wealth, security, a nice home, a nice appearance, you know, things that aren't necessarily bad, but they can definitely go down a bad path. So it's whenever we expect a counterfeit to deliver what only the creator can. That's so helpful. It's so helpful to just, when you, when you say it, when you think about it and you see the sinfulness of it in the fact that I feel like for me, a lot of times it comes down to my misunderstanding of that thing and also who God is and my lack of understanding of the truth of his character and who he is. And I think a lot of times too, it can come down for me at least to a, an identity issue. And and so could you kind of speak to that? Like what, what does idolatry have to do with our identity or better put our misplaced identity? That is such a helpful way to think about it. So something that I say a lot, and actually I remember Lauren Matthew saying it one time in a sermon, kind of at a season where I was really paying attention to phrases like this. And I write about it in Enough About Me as well, but who you are is whose you are. So we can only know who we are. We can only know ourselves if we know our creator. And so if I'm placing my identity in a counterfeit, 
then I'm going to be unsatisfied. It's going to lead to my demise. In fact, if I put all of my hope there, if I must have that counterfeit to feel any sense of happiness or contentment or peace, it's really going to lead to my downfall, even to my death spiritually or physically or figuratively speaking, because I am going to expect it to give me life and it's going to actually end up ringing hollow. In order to know our identity, we have to know him who made us. And so we turn to scripture, we turn to the word of God, we spend time with the people of God, we ask the spirit of God to help us, but to know ourselves is to know our creator first. And so we've got to be rooted in that identity as children made in the image of God and as women who are redeemed by him and saved by him for his glory. Jen, I really love how you encourage us just to turn to the Lord and also to turn to the gifts that he's given us to help us. For example, the church and his people. And that's something that we actually talked about just last week, how we help one another as we are seeking to look to God for all things, seeking to be fully satisfied in him and looking to him. So how does God use his people and the church to help us to turn away from our idols and to look again to Christ? I just thank God for the local church. I feel like Sunday mornings are such a gift as we gather together. You know, even as a pastor's wife who has not missed a Sunday and I am always in church, I can still (laughs) sometimes have a bad attitude on Sunday morning and be like, I don't want to go. I want to stay at home. It's cold. I want my coffee. I want my own comfort and relaxation. And without fail, the Lord meets me on Sunday morning, just even in witnessing the presence of other believers who are worshiping. Like they don't even have to open their mouths for me to be encouraged, but I see them making the decision to turn away from their own sort of convenience or their own selfish desires and gather with their brothers and sisters and exalt the name of Jesus. And just even seeing that scene lifts my eyes off of my earthly landscape and helps me to seek the things that are above. So Sunday morning is just key for reorienting your heart, reminding you of your identity. But I also think, you know, obviously it goes deeper than that. There's relationships in the church and friends in the church and the spirit of God lives in them and they know the word of God and we are communal creatures as you have talked about. And so it's through those friendships where those people who know me best And they want what's best for me. And they know the Lord intimately where they can speak into my life and say, Jen, I think maybe this is an idol. I think maybe you've surrendered your heart to a counterfeit here. And that's a really vulnerable place to be. And we have to give people permission to go there. We have to say, please speak into my life. Let me confess to you the things that I have gone to for security and for satisfaction in the past week. You know, maybe it's social media, maybe it's, you know, comments on my blog, or maybe it's expecting too much of my husband or too much of my kids, wanting them to deliver me a product, a feeling, a sense that can only come from the spirit within me. Just having sisters that can call it out, I think is crucial. You have to have that. If you're serious about following Jesus, you have to give people access to speaking those things into your life. And they can, they can, they can spot it and they can help us. Do you ever find yourself so busy that you can't find time to prioritize God's word? Dwell Bible app can help you out. With Dwell, I can listen to and meditate on the scriptures in the car, in the middle of the night, or while I'm making meals and tending to the needs of our household. Incorporating the Bible into everyday moments is so easy with Dwell. I am constantly using the playlists on walks or as I fall asleep to review the scripture that I have been memorizing. 
the soothing background music, the ability to select your preferred translation or narrator, the sleep timer, and the read-along feature with Dwell make it the most helpful Bible reading app on the market. Their newest release is called Dwell Daily, and it will help you immerse yourself in the Word, pray it, meditate on it, and so much more. Go to dwellbible.com forward slash journeywomen to receive your 25% discount today. Again, that's dwellbible.com forward slash journeywomen for 25% off. One of the things that I'm walking through right now is this desire to be walking alongside, as you know, I mean, you guys, look at me. Life's a journey we were never meant to walk alone. (laughs) You know, I really love doing life alongside other people who also love God, and I yearn for them to speak into my life, which is part of how this podcast was even born. And I'm getting really vulnerable right here, but I think part of what I've been navigating, Jen, in the wake of my dad's death is a desire for people who love the Lord and for people who I desire to help me in my time of need. Like, I know I'm missing things here. I know I'm like not able to see things as clearly as I desire to come alongside me. And yet, a lot of times my expectations have been unmet. And I know that's Mm. the case for a lot of people who are listening. They really yearn for those deep connections, but maybe even there may be some element of what you and Lauren were discussing earlier about elevating or thinking too much of even our ability to care for one another because of the reality of sin and the impact of sin and then just our own human limitations. So can you talk a little bit about maintaining right expectations in regard to our experience within the church and in regard to our ability to come alongside one another? Can you talk to us just about having an accurate uh, understanding of like what we can do for one another in light of the reality of life on this side of eternity? Yeah. You make a really good point, Hunter. I think people forget or have maybe it's never crossed their mind um, or they just haven't identified. It is possible to make the church an idol or to make ministry an idol or missions an idol, right? Just in the same way that we might idolize our families. I think that's an area that the American church in particular is really susceptible is to want to pour so much into our families, you know, and do good things like family worship and family devotions, all these family practices that we have family Sabbath that we have all these family things that we do because we want our families to be so, so, so healthy. And those are good things. But like, if that's where we're putting our hope, then they have, they have crossed the line now and become a counterfeit thing. And we can do the same thing about church and we can like church shop you know, all day long, all year, we can church shop for years. If we are looking for the perfect church, we simply will not find it. You know, whether it's, you know, wanting the certain kind of pastor who preaches a certain way or the worship team or the small groups or the, you know, exact way that you are being welcomed when you come in as a visitor or welcomed into a small group or how your small groups function. I mean, there's so many We are rich with churches in the United States, though I realize we're increasingly secular. We still do have a lot of churches to choose from. And consumer culture is more active than ever and just increasingly active as time goes on. And so we tend to consume church and come at it as consumers. And so I think you're right. We can definitely place too much weight or too much of a burden on the local church to meet all of our needs. And it's not designed to do that. You know, we are are part of a body. 
and Jesus is the head of the body and our hope and our our salvation and our future hope for future glory, all that must be in Christ himself. Because all of us are sinners, as you said, and we're going to disappoint each other. And I don't want anybody in my church to expect me to deliver them the satisfaction that only Jesus can. And I don't want to expect that from anybody else either. And so we need to come into church with a lot of grace. Let's give each other a ton of grace. We don't know what's going on in each other's lives all the time. It's okay to not be able to meet all those needs. Let's take those to the Lord. Let's maybe um, have those conversations in love and just suggest growth where it's possible. But I I do think we need to be bringing a lot of grace inside the church walls. I think that is such a helpful word. And I think it kind of leads me to think too of this need for grace for each other, but also this need for an understanding of God's grace towards us in it. This topic has been really top of mind for me lately. And up until a few years ago, I did not think that I had an issue with idolatry. I didn't see it at all. But specifically, these last few years of walking through infertility have revealed an idolatry that I didn't know was there. And it breaks me. And I hate that. I hate when I see that sin in me. I hate when I see a desire for something over God. And I think it's so comforting to me to see the grace that God meets me with there. So can you touch on that a little bit, just how the grace of the gospel meets us when we find ourselves in that place of loving other things more than we ought? Yes. So a couple things. One is I just want to say that when we come to that place, when we come to the end of ourselves, maybe we call it burnout or maybe we call it just being brokenhearted or or whatever, that is a gift. It feels terrible, but it's such a gift to be confronted with our own idolatry or with our own wrong thinking. It's the grace of the Lord to reveal that to us so that we can ask Him to help us change course and return our allegiance to Him where it belongs. So I would say first, like, let's not run away from that feeling. Let's embrace it and thank God for it. But secondly, and I'm going to probably get so animated here, I'm so excited about the Father's heart toward us when we wander. For the book, Cultural Counterfeits, that I wrote that won't be out for a few more months, but my favorite chapter was writing the final chapter because I just really soaked in the parable of the prodigal son in that particular chapter. And so I was able to do a lot of reading on the time and place that that parable took place um, and understand more about what was going on in the family and with the father and with the sons. But, you know, as the listeners probably know, the prodigal asked for his inheritance before his father died. So right here, we see a son who wanted the good gifts of the father, but he did not want the father. So he asked for the good gifts and he left the father. And we know that he squandered his father's money in reckless living. And he ended up being rather than, you know, the wealthy royal son that he was, he ended up feeding pigs and he longed to eat the pig's food. And the scriptures say that he came to himself out in the far country. And so he decided like, okay, I'm going to go home and I'm going to apologize to my dad. And he had it all ready. He was just like rehearsing the apology that he was going to bring to his father. And Luke 15 tells us, while he was yet a long way off, the father had compassion and he pulled up his robes and he ran to the son. Mm. And that behavior is like so shameful in the first century for a father to pull up his robes with his hands, to expose his legs. And to run after the son who rejected him, 
who like exploited him, who he should be really embarrassed by. The father took that shame on himself and he runs to the son and with compassion, he doesn't even let the son apologize. The son doesn't even get to say it yet. The speech that he rehearsed and he gives the son a kiss. He gives the son robes. He gives him shoes. He puts a ring on his finger and he tells these servants to go kill the fattened calf. We're going to celebrate because my, my son who was lost is now found. He is home. And so all that to say is that is how the father looks at you and me. When our hearts wander, when we want his good gifts rather than the giver, he is watching you and me while we are a long way off. And he runs toward us and takes the shame upon himself. I just love that beautiful picture because it's so humbling and he's so merciful and he's so kind and we don't have to like cower or be in fear, but we can praise him and thank him for the compassion and kindness and for the feast that he's throwing for us, for welcoming us home. He's such a good dad. Mm, What a potent picture that is of the gospel. And oftentimes when I find myself, you know, my attention being diverted to other loves, I often will reorient my gaze to the gospel, like you mentioned. Can you talk a little bit about how the gospel changes us and how then the gospel moves us to release our idols and just loosen our hands on some of those things that we often find ourselves so tightly wanting to hang on to? Mm, Yes. I love that you say like, you're like Hunter, focus on the gospel because it, it is a discipline. Like it's not where our flesh and our minds naturally go when we're in the right headspace. Obviously the whole story is glorious and mystifying to us, like that a perfect God would send his son and that Jesus would willingly take on our punishment and give us his righteousness. Like that story is incredible, but it's not naturally where we go in our flesh. And so we do have to choose to think about it. But Peter says in first Peter that basically this is the gospel that Christ suffered once for sins, the righteous for the unrighteous, that he might bring us to God. That is the gospel, is that Jesus has reconciled us to the Father. Even though we were his enemies, even though we were dead in our trespasses, even though while we were yet sinning, while we were yet opposed to the Father, Jesus laid down his life so that we might be reconciled to the Father. And that just brings to mind to me the images of home and the feast and the warmth and the welcome, you know, that has already been laid for you and me, that the father has already prepared and he's just standing and he's watching. And so when I remember the extreme cost that Jesus paid, when I remember the truth that God literally stopped at nothing to bring me home back to a lavish table that I do not deserve, that I actually said, no, thanks. I'm good. Like, I, I don't need this table. I'm going to go find another table off in a far country. When I realize that he stopped at nothing to bring me back and said, there is still a space for you at my table. And there will always be a space for you at my table. It, it breaks your heart. You can't help but feel broken by God's goodness and his kindness. And so that is something that we have to rehearse to ourselves. We have to be reminded. Clearly, that's nothing a counterfeit can offer you. A counterfeit invites you to the table, chews you up and spits you out. A counterfeit will use you and will never satisfy, but our father does. And so as you say, Hunter, we have to rehearse. We have to remind ourselves. We have to focus our thoughts there. That is such an encouragement. Thank you for lifting our eyes just in this moment to that. Are you looking to boost your protein intake in the new year? Many of us are not getting enough protein, especially at breakfast. So PrepDish wants to help you out. 
For the month of January, PrepDish is offering bonus protein boost meal plans when you sign up. This free bonus shows you how to quickly prep four protein-rich dinners and one breakfast to help you reach your protein goals. Each menu will have you covered for the whole week. You guys, these meals are super mouthwatering and delicious. They have slow cooker carnitas bowls, stuffed pepper soup, and a Swiss chard mushroom and goat cheese frittata. Just imagine coming home to a ready-for-you protein-rich meal to refuel after a long day at work. This is a limited time offer, so make sure to sign up before the end of January to get these free bonus meal plans. Head into your healthiest year yet, feeling confident that dinner is planned, prepped, and will sustain you for all the things you have going that day with Prep Dish. Check it out and get a two-week free trial at PrepDish.com slash journey. Remember, for the month of January, anyone who signs up gets the Protein Boost Meal Plan bonus. Again, that's PrepDish.com slash journey for two weeks free plus bonus menus. I love the scripture you shared about um, the prodigal son and in 1 Peter. Do you have any other scriptures that we can look to as an encouragement for us to love God supremely, to rightly order our desires, to just love Him wholly? Yeah. Well, when it comes to idolatry, one that I think that is really helpful um, is in Isaiah 55. You know, he's like, why are you spending money on that which is not bread? Why are you laboring for that which does not satisfy? And I think that is such a pointed question. Like, why Mm -hmm. am I spending myself on something that is not really going to satisfy me the way the Lord will? So that I think Isaiah 55 Mm -hmm. is such a helpful place to turn when we're combating idolatry. But also just remembering like the goodness of what Jesus says in John 10, 10. I came to give you abundant life. You know, that's where abundant life is found is when we lay ours down and we are hidden inside Jesus. And of course there's, you know, Psalm 16 is a favorite of mine that at God's right hand is the fullness of joy that God makes known to us the path of life. You know, like our flesh and our culture preach a false gospel to us all day long. We are being discipled by Instagram, social media, other things, our own flesh, just telling us all day long um, to sort of, to come over here, to do this, to taste this, to try this bread that's not actually bread, to labor for that which doesn't actually satisfy. And so to just return to the word and to return in prayer and just asking the Lord, remind me that the fullness of life is at your right hand. Remind me that abundant life is found in you, Jesus, and having friends Podcasts like this, the body of Christ, the church, to remind us this is where the fullness of joy is found, not at the the counterfeit that you, where you have been spending yourself. I think the more I come to acknowledge like all the little counterfeits in which I seek, you know, like a sense of belonging, if you will, the more I come to acknowledge that those exist in my life. Correct me if I'm wrong, Jen, but like it makes me realize like more of the cost to following Christ because it's like, man, just like Hebrews talks about, I got to shed off every weight that's entangling me and run the race that the Lord set before me. And yet I also like am coming to realize how much more Christ is to be treasured and Mm -hmm. how much freedom he really offers to me in getting rid of the things that are entangling me and running the race that he set before me. So can you talk about how letting go of our idols and loving God actually brings about true freedom, not like these 
I guess, mirages of freedom that we might experience when we're looking at a counterfeit love. Yeah, I think you're right, Hunter. It it does get increasingly costly. The more we become like Jesus, the more the Spirit renews us from the inside out, and we look look more like our Father in Heaven and His Son who saved us, the costlier it is because we will have to lay down things. Um, we will have to lay down allegiances and desires. We will have to lay down the approval of so many people or climbing certain corporate ladders or certain lifestyles, or maybe we'll lay things down and have to go overseas or plant a church or just go across the street and love a mean neighbor. I don't know, but in my experience now walking with the Lord for a couple decades plus, it's that it gets costlier every single year. And just maybe one example that might help to kind of put flesh on that is I come from a large family and the vast majority of my family does not follow Jesus. You would think by now I'm in my 40s, that would not really bother me, but I'm finding it really does. Like I don't like to be left out of the family celebrations and the family inside jokes and you know the things that they're participating in that would not be appropriate for me to participate in, Mm. but it stings. It's just, it does, it hurts my feelings, you know, but what has become increasingly precious to me this year is my family in Christ and my sisters in the Lord and my brothers in the Lord, the church and the global church has just become so close to me, so dear to my heart that it's a balm for that wound of losing my earthly family in a sense. And so there's real freedom in that because if I'm over here clamoring for my physical family, then I'm either going to just be miserable because I'm trying to fit myself into a situation that's not appropriate, or I'm going to just be constantly have hurt feelings. It's just not going to go well. If I keep chasing that thing that I can't really have, if my allegiance is to Jesus, and if I'm going to walk with him in the ways that he's called me, then I can't have that. So I need to lay it down and not be weighed down by that heavy burden that it keeps schlepping around with me and go ahead and just put it at the foot of the cross and say, Jesus, you are my brother. You're not ashamed to call me sister. Please feel closer than a brother in this moment. Feel closer than cousins, aunts, uncles. Show yourself to me in that way. Let, may I have just a sweet, intimate relationship with you. I think too, as I think about those examples, my own examples in my own life, I see all these longings, all these temptations towards idolatry. And I realize that we're all such longing creatures, you know, I guess, could you talk a little bit about how our misplaced longings, how our idolatry kind of shows us our ultimate need for what we ultimately should long for, for God? So God's creation of you and me is just so profound. Like the Lord knit us together. We know that, but he made us for not this lifetime, but the next. I like to use Randy Alcorn's phrase of this is the pre-life to the real life that is coming. We were made to live in community with the Lord and with the whole church. And we were made for the new heavens and the new earth where we will live with our God and he will live with us. And every hope will be realized. Every wound will be healed. Every tear will be wiped away. You know, we will have homes and work and tasks and beauty and community that do not fall short. There will not be any sin or disruption. 
when you and I are on the new heavens and the new earth with Jesus, we will have that opportunity without any pause to worship our King and to be one with our King. And again, just to borrow Randy Alcorn and to keep plugging that name because he's such a helpful thinker and author, but this excellent book he wrote called Heaven. It's a massive book. I had to read it with a group to get through it because I just it was a lot to take in. But he just helped me through scripture think about what the age to come and that this life is so brief and these afflictions are so temporary, but we we're waiting for eternal glory and that is coming. So let us remember that. Let us run the race marked out for us because this life is so brief and the next one is eternal. My heart and my prayer is that I would realize that I was made for home. I was made for the feast. I was made to have communion with the father and with all of my siblings. And that is coming. There is a taste now. It's a shadow of what's to come and it's good, but there's more coming and we were made for that. And so it's okay and good to long for that and to just fix our eyes on Jesus, who's the author and perfecter of our faith and keep running that race that's marked out for us. Amen. I think sometimes when I'm feeling and experiencing just the pain of like realizing, number one, that I've misplaced my hope, which is to me like oftentimes just discouraging. I'm like, really? Mm -hmm. We're here again? (laughs) I don't want to do this. And yet I keep doing it. When I'm feeling that discouragement, I just think, like you said, it's such an opportunity to recognize yet again the hope that we have of heaven. And if I've, I don't know, been growing in any area in this season after having lost my dad with my grandmother being on hospice, it's that. The resurrection is our certain reality. That is the hope that we have as believers. So certainly all of this has been such a service to me because I also feel like in my time of suffering, I have seen more acutely my own insufficiencies and my own idolatry. And that's been really tough, especially when I'm in a tender season. So what's one practical step for listeners who find themselves in my place, really wanting to grow in their understanding of what we've talked about today and how they can continue just to seek to know and love God more? Well, I think specifically, if we're talking about somebody who's in a really tender place, who's grieving, who's mourning, Um, maybe who feels like she is in a cycle of despair or maybe addiction or idolatry that just is not going to break. My encouragement to her is to borrow the faith of your friend. When you don't know up from down, go to a trusted sister who you know loves the Lord and ask her to recite the truth to you, to hold your arms up, to help you keep running and putting one foot in front of the other. We are not meant to be all-powerful. We are not meant to be infinite. We need each other. And so especially if you feel like there's an idol in your life that you cannot lay down, like maybe it's the need for financial security or the longing for a husband or feeling like you have to get that degree or whatever, and you feel despair because your heart is fixated on it, go to a friend and ask her to remind you of what's true and borrow her faith while you're in the valley. And know that the Lord is faithful and he will bring you through that valley. Your faith will grow and you will go on the other side. You will reach the other side of that valley. He will carry you through. That is such a welcome encouragement. And I have seen that so many times for myself, being able to lean on somebody else's hope and prayer and belief on my behalf when I can't 
do it myself. And the fact that we can just do that as the body and Jen, you've done that for me, Hunter, you've done that for me. And I'm just so grateful for that practical encouragement for our listeners to look to one another, to urge each other to look to Jesus. And I'm grateful for that. So um, we've had you on the podcast before and you know, our thing here is to talk about simple joys. And so we would love to hear from you since this is our series about knowing and loving God. We would love to hear from you. What are your three simple joys, um, specifically when it comes to knowing and loving God more? Sadly, in middle age, it's really hard to sleep in. So I'll just preface my first simple joy with I wish I could sleep longer, but I am just up so early these days and I can't seem to get over it. So that has become a simple joy though, because I'm I'm awake like a good hour or two before anybody else in the house, whether I like it or not, getting a warm cup of coffee and going into my office where I shut the door and turn on the space heater and have my coffee with the Lord and with his word. Um, that has just become a real precious gift to me. Um, another simple joy in this season of life is my girls are all older now. My youngest is 14. So the time that I get on Saturday mornings with them after they wake up because they can sleep in, um, <laughs> we have a slow breakfast, pancakes. We just sit around the table leisurely, kind of checking in with each other and having a longer conversation than we're normally allowed. And so that's another simple joy. And they point me to the Lord and I get the chance to point them to the Lord. And so that's a huge gift. And then I have to say the surroundings that I live in here in Colorado the aspen trees that are turning gold right now, the sky that is so crisp and blue, even the frost in the morning is gorgeous. And it reminds me of the goodness of our creator and that he is beautiful and he makes beauty. He is so good. Mm. Feast your eyes. (laughs) You're going to make us both cry in so many different ways on this episode, but especially right now when we're mourning the loss of New England and Colorado. Oh, (laughs) Lord, keep freeing us from those idols. No, I'm just kidding. (laughs) Right? Right. (laughs) I love it. Those are all some of my simple joys. And Jen, you've really genuinely been such a gift to me. And I know I can speak for Lauren as well. You know, in 10 years, I think I'll be looking back on conversations that I had with you and thinking, oh, yeah, Jen told me about this. Or, oh, I remember how Jen responded and reacted when this situation came, you know, before her. And so now I have an example right now I'm studying um, Philippians. And so I'm in the portion of the letter that Paul wrote to the church at Philippi, where he is offering the example of Timothy and of Epaphroditus to the Philippian church and saying, you know, basically look at these faithful examples that you have of people who have selflessly seeked to serve Christ. And I feel that way about you. And that's one thing that we always ask Journey Women guests is who is it that has done that for you in your life? Who's had the greatest impact on the way that you know and love God? I don't know if I can pick the greatest, but one that I love to share about is the man that Mark and I look to as kind of a spiritual father. His name is Pastor Kita, and he discipled Mark before we got married and just really showed Mark what grace is and Mm -hmm. how to walk in grace and how to receive grace and how to give grace. And because of that amazing foundation in Mark's life, he is a very grace-centered person. And so that permeates our marriage and it permeates our household. And um, I feel like we're a family that is quick to forgive and quick to extend grace. And that's not through any effort of our own, but that's just the gift of God through a godly man who showed us how it's done. And I'll just be forever grateful for Pastor Keita's fingerprints on our lives. 
I love it so much. Well, we are grateful for him and we're grateful for you. Thank you so much for your willingness to join us on the Journey Women podcast today. Oh, thanks you guys. This has been a real treat and super nourishing to my own soul. So thank you. You guys, I cannot believe we only have three episodes remaining before we take our annual Christmas break. What a year it's been tackling the most important topic of all, knowing and loving God. We would love to hear what the Lord has taught you as you've listened this year. Please shoot us an email or a direct message on socials. We would love to feature some of your responses in our final episode of the podcast. You can find out how to get in touch with us on our website at journeywomenpodcast.com. There you can also find show notes, some of our favorite resources, and free downloadable helps that you might find helpful as you study the Word and seek to glorify God. Thanks so much for taking time to listen today. Make sure you're subscribed to the podcast on whatever app you're using to listen so you don't miss future episodes. This episode was edited and sound designed by the team at Sound On Studios. You can find out more about their work at soundonsoundoff.com. We are so grateful for them and for you. Can't wait to see you here next Monday. Have a great week.